And if you're just now joining us, uh, we welcome you to worship at Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His image. Uh, <clears throat> now, if you have questions or want to have a discussion, uh, I invite you to engage in the live chat that will be on the right-hand side of your screen as we move through this time. We're starting a new series. Uh, we're talking about soul care is self-care this morning. I want to do a little bit of introductory I think um, as we go through this time, we've talked to different people, and uh, some people have found that this is a time that's allowed them extra uh, space for introspection and reflection. Uh, other people are finding it a very difficult time uh, to move through. And so what we hope to do is uh, give you some uh, suggestions, some rhythms to enter into that might help you uh, to uh, move deeper in your faith as we go through, move through this time. A couple of years ago, we did a study and looked at the Willow Creek Reveal study, which was done across a large uh, segment of, of uh, evangelical churches in America. And one of the things they uh, found was that when people got stuck in their faith development, one of the statements they frequently made was, I don't feel I am being fed anymore. Because they had reached the end of the point where they could passively receive instruction in their faith, and it was time for them to be more active in moving ahead in their own faith. Uh, similar, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, who wrote Sacred Rhythms, uh, said that in uh, her experience, one of the comments she heard when people reached kind of a, a stuck place in their faith development was the comment, is that all there is? Uh, it, it's kind of getting to a, a certain point and not moving forward, and, and, and that's an invitation when any one of these statements uh, comes to your mind, is that all there is? Or I feel like I'm not being fed anymore. Either one of those statements is an invitation for you uh, to actually move deeper in faith. Uh, it's not a sign that you're, you can't grow. Uh, it just indicates that it's a point in time at which you can't stay where you're at. And God is inviting you to do something more. A couple of weeks ago, we did Means of Grace. And one of the things I talked about was that uh, Wesley always recognized that, that it was possible to use the means of grace in a way that made them useless or powerless in your life. Uh, because you no longer brought the right intention to it. So what we're hoping to do through these uh, next couple of weeks is, is help you uh, work on developing that intention and also uh, suggest some rhythms to you that might help you to grow in your faith. As we begin this, we're talking about soul care and self-care. Uh, Maggie Combs makes a distinction between soul care and self-care. And, and I want you to hear, she's not saying self-care is not important. She's simply saying it doesn't go far enough as she makes this kind of distinction. She says there's three principles, and, and the first is uh, to remember who you are. Uh, soul care admits that God made you from dust. Your body and your abilities are finite. The lists you create for your days are often beyond the abilities of your human body. Here's the issue with self-care. You are not God. She then suggests that you need to remember whose you are. God the Father created you. Jesus redeemed you. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. Self-care is about taking ownership and control of your physical needs. Soul care entrusts your needs to the God who created you, sustains you, and saves you. And finally, she says, give your mind true oxygen. Uh, to be good soul care, your method for rest must allow you to learn more about God and draw nearer to Him. Self-care aims to give physical and psychological renewal, but soul care accesses the true spiritual oxygen your soul craves. So as we move through these weeks, I'm going to invite you to remember who you are and whose you are uh, to be seeking that true oxygen that your soul craves. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, we come on this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit to be in the midst of us uh, and open our hearts, our minds to, to all that you would say to us. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we're going we're gonna to talk about worship and prayer, which is an awful lot to put in one sermon. So bear with me. This is a toughie. Uh, and as we come into this, uh, the, the overarching passage I want you to hear is Romans 12, 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Oftentimes when we read this, we think about more of a subtle kind of change. I want you to hear that Paul's really talking about something pretty radical here. That word transformed there is actually the word metamorphed. Uh, to, to actually be changed in the same way that a butterfly changes, I mean, a caterpillar changes to a butterfly. Uh, there's to be this radical transformation. This isn't a subtle change. This is a complete, total transformation of who we are. And, and when he says renewing of your minds, the word renewing there is the same root as the word repentance. So it's this 180-degree change. Uh, he really is suggesting here uh, that, that we change 180 degrees from what the world around us looks like and allow God to completely remake us into something new. So there is a radical kind of sense of change involved in this that goes far beyond what we usually limit it to. And I want to say, as we move into this, if you don't have that kind of openness at some point, your spiritual formation will stall out. Because at some point, God is going to call you to something that is far beyond what you ever imagined. So have that openness as we move through this and we talk about this. Now, the first piece we're going to talk about is worship. When we talk about the four pillars of spiritual growth uh, in, the, in the congregation, we've defined worship as the gathering of God's people to remember who God is and who we are, which sounds kind of like what Maggie Combs was saying. Uh, we offer praise and thanksgiving as we hear God's word proclaimed through scripture and music, and we respond to God's word in prayers, sacraments, financial gifts, and service as we are sent from worship back into the world. Now, I want you to hear that they're, they're embedded in that is the sense that worship is not something that only takes place in this building, but rather goes with us as we go back into the world and back into our homes and back into our workplaces. So understand there's a broader understanding of worship than simply what we do alone when this place uh, where I am this morning in this time and space. One of the earliest patterns from that comes out of Isaiah's encounter with God in the temple uh, when Isaiah was called uh, to be a prophet. And there's three kind of basic movements to it. Uh, the first is a movement of praise. Oh, come, oh no, I'm sorry, this is the psalm. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Uh, this is the psalm you hear, the encouragement to be in worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all God. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it in the dry land which his hands have formed. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Uh, this encouragement to be in worship and to come humbly into God's presence. 
And Paul would encourage the Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you hear in this, again, this movement where you, you come together with gratitude and you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs where you have this kind of gathering of the body to come together and sing. And, and, and whatever you do, then this is more the dispersed kind of uh, aspect. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus when you go out from this place. Now we're going to go to Isaiah meeting God in the temple where uh, the first movement is that of praise. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, in the Hebrew tradition, when you see that holy, holy, that, that threefold holy, uh, the emphasis there, this is, this is like a, a tripled exclamation marks to, to emphasize the complete total holiness of God. Uh, and so the, the writer wants you to, to hear uh, in that repetition. This emphasizes that God is completely and powerfully holy. The next movement is confession and absolution, because when we come into the presence of God who is completely holy, the first thing most of us are aware of is how unholy we are. And so Isaiah says, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Now, we often talk about confession and forgiveness, but I want you to hear in this passage that this goes beyond this. Uh, when when the, the coal touches his lips, your guilt has departed, your sin's blotted out. It's not simply that you're forgiven, but, but it's gone, it's removed. This is what absolution means. It goes beyond simply saying, okay, I forgive you. It means the sin is completely removed from your life. And this is the aspect of worship that we sometimes uh, tend to forget. In our relations with one another, oftentimes forgiveness carries with it that uh, a little bit of remembrance. You know, we forgive, but we remember what happened. But, but in God's grace and in God's mercy, when confession is met with God's forgiveness, it is absolute. It is absolution. The, the sin is removed. And then the final phase is proclamation and response. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah, who has just experienced this amazing, overwhelming act of absolution, says, Here am I, send me. That's, that's kind of the basic stretch uh, uh, you see in a lot of worship where you go from praise to, to confession and absolution. You go to proclamation and response. And, and you hear again, the response is, Send me, this sense of Worship not ending simply in this place or in the temple, but going out with us when we go out into the world. Now, worship sometimes when we uh, 
we, we, we tend to, to get stuck in you know, this kind of location where we gather. But worship uh, in the Hebrew tradition took place uh, in the homes. As a matter of fact, the, the primary way, once the temple was destroyed in uh, the first century, the primary way that worship took place among the Hebrews was in their homes. And so it goes out with us, and there's all kinds of different patterns for that. I'm just going to share you a little bit of what my pattern is. Part of my pattern is to do a, an act of morning prayer every morning. Uh, and it's very simple, uh, opening verses, confession of sin, invitatory, uh, the psalm, the reading usually from the daily text, uh, followed by the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's pre Prayer, uh, an act of intercession, praying for others, the collect for the day, and the benediction. Uh, this is taken from John Wesley's uh, Order of Morning Prayer, uh, and I use uh, the little daily uh, guidebook, uh, I mean the field guide for daily prayer that is published by Seabed. Uh, you can find this on their website. This is an old one, and I don't think you can see it well enough to see all the wear and tear on it. Uh, the newer ones look like this, uh, much neater, uh, but it's the same content. Uh, Win Winfield Bevins uh, pulled these from John Wesley's writings and put them together. Uh, and so uh, this is a way for me to pray uh, in the morning as I begin the morning. And I need that structure because uh, I'm getting up, I'm having my first cup of coffee, I'm a little fuzzy around the edges, so to speak, and, and this gives me a pattern that I don't have to try to figure out or remember or create every morning, but it's just a way for me to start my day in prayer and in worship with God. At the end of the day, I use an examination of conscience, which has a movement like this. Uh, I recall that, one, I'm in the presence of God. Uh, and then I look at my day with gratitude. Go back through the day and see uh, what has God done during the day? How's God blessed me or the people around me during the day? Uh, and then I ask help from the Holy Spirit to review my day. I ask the Spirit to give me God's eyes to look at how my day went. Uh, and to do that both in ways that reveal to me where I've failed during that day or where I've not been faithful in that day, as well as the places that God has done wonderful things in my life that day so that I have a more clear picture of how that day has gone. And that allows me then to take back to God the things that I need to seek forgiveness for or uh, say a word uh, to seek reconciliation with God over, as well as the things that I can resolve uh, the next day to be better uh, and ask God to help me be better as I come into the next day. So it's a, it's a way of kind of wrapping that whole day up and bringing it into the presence of God and, and saying, help me to see this as you would see it, uh, to celebrate what you would celebrate, uh, to seek forgiveness for the places I have fallen short, and, and to resolve to, to actually live more faithfully in the days to come. Simple, very simple kinds of processes to be involved in, and there's all kinds of uh, different kinds of patterns you can find uh, things online, things in other publications, uh, but it's a way for me to frame my day in worship uh, and to frame my day in the presence of God. Uh, several years ago, I heard someone say, you know, when you get up in the morning, most people turn on the news the first thing, and they catch up on all the news, and so the first thing that impacts their day is the word of the world, and his challenge was to commit to start the day off in the word of God and in the presence of God and see what kind of a difference that made. And I accepted that challenge from him and, and started doing that practice and found that it uh, has a profound impact on how my day goes and how I see my day and the events in my day. So I would encourage you to think of worship not simply as what you do in, in this space or in, in a large crowd, but rather what you can do in your home and what you can do with your family, uh, what you can do uh, in your office even. Uh, in those kinds of times when you have that space and to enter into that and offer that time up to God. 
part of the, the undergirding of, of worship, obviously, is prayer. And actually, prayer is the, the, really the undergirding of, of everything that we do uh, and, and should be built into everything that we do. Uh, Jesus uh, even engaged in this life of prayer. This is Mark's, uh, Mark 1. Uh, in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. If, if, if Jesus needed to get up in the morning and go pray, surely the rest of us also need to be engaged in that. Um, and too often we, we kind of give prayer kind of the short shrift instead of engaging in it in the way that we should. John Wesley, in A Plain Account of Christian Perfection, would say, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Now, I want to be clear, he's not saying, he's not limiting God in this. I think he's kind of overstating his case on purpose. God is still sovereign. God still does what God does. But what he is saying is that, that in our lives, if we want God to be moving in our lives, we need to be earnest in our prayer about that uh, because that's, that's what invites God to take action within our lives. And, and that's similar to other kinds of encouragements you'll read about prayer through the scriptures. Uh, in Luke, Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with thanksgiving, in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, 1 Timothy, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Uh, this encouragement to pray in all times and in all places uh, continually. Uh, Jesus gives some specific instructions in Matthew's gospel about praying. He says, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's encouraging us to be intentional and earnest in our prayer life, not, not to be doing it for the sake of impressing others, but rather to, to be in connection with God, to understand that prayer is, is the communication language of our soul with God, of, of our hearts with God's heart. Uh, it's this connection that we build between us, and it undergirds everything we do. In um, some of our leadership groups, we've ha had a little uh, kind of joke that goes around uh, and I'm not sure where this came from, but somebody was telling us uh, this, that they had read this somewhere, uh, that there's a group in the church and they were getting together and they were meeting over a difficult issue and they debated and debated and worried and fretted and, and went over it and, and they just could not, could not find a way to, to deal with this issue. And after this had gone on for some time, one of them finally said, you know, I think we need to stop and pray about this. And someone else said, has it come to that? And the point being, you know, Prayer should be what we enter into first, not what we enter into last. That this is the first place we step into connection with God and we seek God's wisdom and God's guiding and all that. And, and this isn't to be done for show. This is to be an intentional, earnest kind of prayer. And when you do that, I want you to hear that, you know, it, it's not important whether you are eloquent or not. Some people I've been around are just eloquent people when they pray. The, the words just 
fall off their lips and it's just amazing to listen to. Other people struggle to get out five words. Uh, and what I've learned is that it's not so much the number of words or how fancy they sound, but it's the earnestness, uh, the sincerity behind them uh, that touches my heart and I suspect touches God's heart. Uh, years ago in South Bluff, I had a lady in my church. We were doing a workshop uh, on Richard Foster's book on prayer. And whenever we would take turns praying out loud and Johnny's turn came along, she would pray in King James English, you know, all the these and the thous and thines and so forth. And after a while, somebody finally said to her, you know, Johnny, you, you don't have to pray like that. You know, you can, you can just talk to God. And Johnny said, oh, no. She says, this, this is the way I pray. If I, if, I, if I don't pray this way, I don't feel like I'm showing proper respect to God. And so everybody said, okay, if, if, that's, if that's what fits you, pray that way. Uh, as St. Francis would one time say, don't worry about praying as you can't. Simply pray as you can. Uh, and start praying in whatever way, fashion, form works well with you and, and fits you. Uh, after Jesus gives these instructions, the first thing he does after this is he instructs them in what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and if this is the place you need to start, start here. Start praying with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you actually take that prayer apart and look at it, you'll see that there's all the movements of worship involved in this prayer. Uh, there's praise, there's confession, there's forgiveness. Uh, there's proclamation, there's response. All of that's in this prayer that Jesus gives to us. And, and if nothing else, take this prayer and just break it apart and do a few sentences at a time and allow them to sink into your soul and into your conversation with God. Uh, it's a powerful place to start. One of the early models I was given when I was young, it's called the ACTS model, uh, A-C-T-S, it's an acronym. Stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Simply way uh, reflects very much uh, the Isaiah six passage or other passages that uh, talk about prayer and talk about worship, where uh, we come into God's presence and first we lift up adoration, we express our love and our praise to God, uh, we confess to God and receive uh, the absolution uh, for those sins we confess. Uh, we give thanks to God for all that's done, and it's important that we give thanks to God before we give before we enter into supplication, asking from God. Uh, my experience is if supplication comes first, then we tend to find our prayer life becoming simply a place of want or need. When thanksgiving comes first, then we enter into all of our prayer life as, a, as an awareness of God's providence and God's blessing in our lives. And when we lift up the requests to Him, we lift them up from a place of trust in what God has blessed us with. So it's always important, I think, to have thanksgiving before you come into supplication. And again, it's just a very simple way of being in prayer. And, and when you talk about unceasing prayer, praying all the time without stopping, uh, sometimes prayers can be even more simple than this. Um, one of the simplest ways is just a breath prayer, just a prayer we utter as we breathe in and out through the day. And one of the oldest ones around is called the Jesus prayer. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, you can just say that as you breathe in and out throughout the day. Uh, as a way of constantly being in prayer, it becomes a rhythm built into your life. Another way to pray is what we call an arrow prayer, which is just uh, in the midst of all the things we go through the day, something happens and you just need to shoot a little prayer up to God. So uh, somebody does something that makes you angry or hurts your feelings and you just need to say, oh Lord, I need your help to forgive them on this. 
somebody does something great and you just need to say, oh God, thank you for that. Help me remember to give thanks to them for, for what they've done. Um, sometimes you just need a little help in knowing what to do. Oh Lord, help me know what I'm supposed to do here. Or, or just a short prayer of thanksgiving, a uh, short prayer of intercession. Um, they're just little quick prayers that you shoot up to God throughout the day. Ways that we can be in prayer constantly as we move through the day. More uh, in-depth ways of praying can, are often talked about as meditation and contemplation. And I want you to hear, in the Eastern and Western traditions of prayer, uh, these terms are used backwards from each other. In the Western tradition, meditation has a focus. Uh, it's, it's meditating upon a teaching song or scripture. In the Eastern tradition, meditation is all about emptying your mind. In the Western tradition, emptying your mind is called contemplation. So they're used backwards, and if you're reading different authors, you may find that confusing. Uh, just, just understand that depending on where your author comes from, uh, they may use these terms reversed uh, from what we in the Western tradition usually, the way we use them. But meditation is to reflect upon a specific teaching or song or scripture, actually can be upon a work of art as well. Uh, and a great example we're going to talk about here in a week or so is Lectio Divina, a, a way of reading scripture and praying about it and focusing on it. Uh, so it has a very specific kind of focus to it. Whereas contemplation is really more a matter of quieting the mind and sitting in the presence of God. Uh, it's sometimes called the via negativa, the way of knowing God through the negative. Uh, whatever you know of God, whatever you think of God, that's not God's totality. And so it's quieting all those down so that in the quiet, God can speak into our lives. Uh, the psalmist wrote, uh, Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Uh, it's a way of quieting ourselves so that we can hear what God is speaking into us. Uh, Father Thomas Keating uh, wrote a lot about centering prayer. Uh, and in that, uh, some of his writings, he describes the movement of it uh, along this way. Uh, Choose a sacred word as the symbol of your openness and invitation to God's presence and action within you. Uh, this is within the Buddhist tradition, what might be called a mantra. But we choose a Christian word, uh, mercy, grace, compassion, uh, charisma, uh, some word that holds a, spe a special meaning for us within the Christian tradition. And then you sit comfortably upright with your eyes closed. And after you take a moment to settle yourself, you focus on that word. Uh, whenever you become aware of other thoughts and things coming back into your mind, uh, you go back to that sacred word. You recite it if needed, and if needed out loud, uh, to clear your mind of distractions. And then at the end of your prayer time, you remain still with your eyes closed for a few minutes and slowly allow yourself to re-engage with your surroundings. I want you to hear in all of this that you know, different people are going to find different ways of prayer work more easily or, or more powerfully in their lives. And it kind of depends on, uh, on who you are. Uh, I've done for a number of years, I've been in the practice of taking a couple of times in a year where I may take two or three days and, uh, and do a time of a solitary uh, prayer. Uh, sometimes uh, being in the community where we just agree we're not going to speak. Other times uh, being in a place where I'm, I'm completely removed from everyone and simply being in the presence of God. And, and for me, that's a powerfully refreshing kind of time. Um, it's a time that allows me to tune my ear uh, to hear better what God is speaking into my life. Uh, and so for me, that's a very powerful experience. Uh, one of my colleagues went to uh, Leb Shemea, uh, which is down near Kingsville, Texas, a Catholic retreat center uh, a number of years back, to do a, a quiet retreat uh, in that same fashion. 
And he said about the second day, he found he was standing outside talking to a tree and realized this was just not his thing. So depending on your personality, this, this may you know, speak to you or not uh, in different ways. I want to encourage you, though, to learn to enter into some quiet time. Because without that time of quieting our own voice, um, we lose the ability to hear and to discern God's voice in the midst of all of the noise that we live in. Uh, and so we begin to become very easily distracted by other voices speaking into our lives and unable to discern which one is God's and which one is not. Uh, so take that time and, and allow yourself to be in the presence of God and, and at least try uh, some of these practices of being quiet and listening for God's voice in the midst of your life. And all of this, I want you to not stress again about whether you're doing it right. St. Francis, don't worry about praying as you can't, pray as you can. Paul would say uh, this way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. And you notice that Paul uses the we, he's including himself in that. Uh, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And, and God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, as you enter into those times of prayer and try different things, understand that, that God is with you in that. And that it's not about doing it exactly right, because God is still going to know what's in your heart and what's in your mind. And, and when you're unable to pray and unable to find the words for it, God's Spirit will frame the words for you. So trust God to be with you in that effort and allow God to enter into that. And, and you will find God moving powerfully in that time of prayer in one way or another. I also want to share with you a couple of quotes here. Uh, this is Oswald Chambers. Uh, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Uh, again, as my prayer team here keeps reminding me, pray first, pray first. Uh, we are too bad about jumping into action before we've sought God's counsel and discerned God's wisdom in things. And Chambers remind us, pray first. And, uh, and from, our, from our sister Beth Moore, she said this in, a, in one of her lectures, and I don't know whether it's original with her or from somebody else. Uh, we will not live bolder than we pray. So pray boldly uh, in your life. Don't be uh, limited to it and don't hold back thinking, oh, that's too much. Pray boldly in your life. If you want more uh, information on prayer opportunities within the church, you can go to the website to uh, bethany-umc.org backslash prayer and uh, you will find uh, different opportunities that are available to you uh, in the church for uh, being in prayer with others or being on your own. Uh, and so uh, these are places I would invite you to go and visit uh, and check out uh, the prayer, among the prayer ministry of the church. Also, uh, every Wednesday evening during the time that we're working through this series, uh, there will be a time with the prayer team uh, out in the garden in the columbarium area out in the church uh, parking lot from 5 to 6 p.m. when there will be prayer and anointing available. So if you want to come and, and be with someone in an appropriate way for prayer and anointing, uh, that will be possible. And as always, there is the Zoom prayer room available Sunday mornings from 1030 to 11 a.m. As we move through this time, I just want to invite you to, to sink into those rhythms that God has given us, these ways of connecting with God that he's placed in front of us, um, to time be in worship, uh, frame your day in worship, uh, be in prayer in all the places and all the times of your day. Uh, invite God to speak into your life. And if you're feeling that uh, 
is this all there is or I'm not being fed anymore? Uh, hear that not as a sign of deficiency on your part. Uh, hear that as an invitation from God uh, to come even deeper in your relationship with God and your walk with Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you are with us even in this time, that, that you are always around us and close to us even when we are unaware of it, uh, that even when life is difficult, when life is stressful, when we're struggling with being uh, separated from the people we love, when we're distressed uh, by, by the acts of racial injustice and brutality we see, uh, you are still with us. And so we, we ask you to guide us in this process, to, to draw us deeper, to take us from that place of frustration with where our spiritual life is, uh, to go from not feeling fed or wondering if that all is all there is, to, to entering into a deeper conversation with you, that you may be within us, that you may transform us, metamorph us by the renewal, the, the 180 degree turning of our minds, that we may find ourselves reshaped and recreated to be the people you have called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.